That was so good, I was hoping for more. But it's my turn. John MacArthur tells the story of a little boy who was going into his room at night. His dad was with him to say his evening prayers, and it was near Christmas. Grandma was visiting. And the little boy said his prayers as normal. He said, now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep, and on and on he went. When he got near to the end of his prayers, he said, and, and God, please give me a new bike, in a real loud voice. And then said, Amen. <laughs> His dad said, Son, you don't have to yell. God is not deaf. He said, I know, but Grandma's in the next room and she is. <laughs> and isn't that like our prayers sometimes? Unfortunately, our attempts at prayer often dissolve into a manipulation of the situation for our own personal benefit. I don't think there's anything wrong with praying for a bike. But God is the one who gives us these wonderful gifts. And prayer is not us trying to twist the hand of the Almighty. Prayer is, is us getting in line with his agenda and calling on him to do his will as we express our heart to him. And as we continue our study in Ephesians chapter 6 on spiritual warfare, we come to what some call the last piece of armor. It's prayer. I don't really think it's the last piece of armor. I think it is the way we put all of the armor on. That's what makes the difference. William Gernall, who wrote that wonderful book on the Christian in complete armor said, because we have enemies on all sides, so we need armor on all sides. But the way we, we put the armor on is through prayer. You know the song so well that comes from the pen of Charles Wesley, who tells us that we are to be soldiers. Soldiers of Christ arise. Put your armor on. Stand in, stand in the strength which God supplies through his eternal Son." And then he says in the next stanza, Stand then in his great might, with all his strength endued, and take to arm you for the fight the panoply of God. The way we put on this wonderful armor is to put on the panoply of God, the pieces of the armament. Each piece we are to put on with prayer. And so that's why Paul says in verse 18 that we need to make sure that we're praying always with all prayer and petition and supplication. Praying at all times for all people. Now I have on the screen before you a translation of verse 18 that is taken as literally as one possibly could from the original Greek language. That's why it's a bit... Uh, a bit stiff and wooden. It hasn't been polished up by English as sometimes translations have to be or else they cannot be understood. But one of the things I want you to notice about this particular verse is how often the word all is used. It's used four different times. So Paul is basically saying with all prayer and petition pray at all times in the spirit. And be and in this, that is in this activity of prayer, 
being alert in all perseverance and petition for all saints. The Apostle Paul is trying to make a point. He's talking about comprehensive prayer and how beautiful this one verse of Scripture is, fascinating in its, in one sense, its complexity and wonderful in its comprehensiveness. To get a hold of this verse and understand what it's talking about on the vital subject of prayer is to grow by leaps and bounds spiritually. And so after talking about all the pieces of the armament, let's talk about how to put it on with this thing called all prayer. Paul is actually talking about four different universals with the subject of prayer. And so here's universal number one. All prayer and petition refers to the fact that we are to pray all kinds of different prayers. That is, prayer has various forms to it. You and I are very familiar with the gimme prayers. I need this. I want that. Please do this. I want a bike. And on and on it goes. We're familiar with those, and those aren't forbidden. But that's only one part of prayer. Maybe the best way to think about the various forms of prayer is using uh, that word acts and letting each letter stand for a different aspect of prayer. And if you do that, A stands for adoration. You say, I don't know how to start praying in adoration. Let me give you a, a simple suggestion. Sing how great thou art. Or read the words. Oh Lord my God. Just begin to read those words. And you are adoring God. Uh, adoration means to lift up, to honor, to praise, to magnify, to think about how great he is. That's the best place to start in prayer. And you have wonderful examples in the Old Testament, like in Nehemiah chapter 9 and Ezra chapter 9 and throughout the Psalms, where the name of God is lifted up. If you're having a normal conversation with someone, doesn't the conversation have different aspects of speech? Sometimes you will pay compliments. Sometimes you will ask questions. Sometimes you'll be involved in an argument. Sometimes you will express appreciation. That's the way we converse with one another. It shouldn't be all of the same type of speech. And prayer is a conversation with God. And it needs to involve adoration. Secondly, this idea of confession. What I find helpful is to go to Psalm 32 or to Psalm 51 and pray those two psalms. They both come from the pen of David. Both of them were written after his horrible situation with Bathsheba. The sin of adultery. The sin of deception. The sin of murder and you pray those prayers you say well I haven't sinned that bad maybe you haven't sinned that way but your sin is pretty bad all sin is bad it's a transgression against a holy God so pray Psalm 51 pray Psalm 32 I've memorized Psalm 51 without trying because I've had to pray it so often how often should I confess my sin how often do you sin well, pastor, that's every day. Bingo. 
So our prayers need to have this adoration aspect to it and this confession. And then they need to have thanksgiving. That's the T. And this is where we are praising the Lord, thanking him, expressing our joy and appreciation for his goodness. And what I've noticed is that real mature Christians emphasize adoration and thanksgiving in their prayers far more than the normal Christian does. Filled with gratitude. How good has God been to you? Count your many blessings. Name them one by one. And if you do that, you won't have time for anything else. God has been so abundantly good. And even in the midst of your pain and sorrow and brokenness, God is still good. And that's what we need to emphasize when we pray. Did you realize if you spent maybe two minutes on each one of those, you'd almost be praying for 10 minutes, wouldn't you? Because the last one is supplication, which simply means request. And I'm sure you've got a list, don't you? (laughs) Aren't you praying for a list of things? You need to have a list. And keep praying to God for those things on the list. Let me just encourage you to praise before you say, I'm sorry, and to give thanks before you say, give me this and give me that. Let your prayers be wholesome and healthy as they take in all of the good conversation that we should have with a dear, dear friend. What a privilege it is to pray. Did you know that the best thing about prayer is the one you pray to? That's the best thing about prayer. Whenever you pray, you enter into the presence of Almighty God. And that's the greatest thing about prayer. So Paul says, in the midst of the spiritual battle, you need to pray various kinds of prayers. The second universal, we might say, simply means to always be praying. Pray all the times, all, all, at all times in the spirit. Now the idea here is that of consistency. That prayer becomes a regular and vital part of our everyday life. We're always praying. It's ongoing. It's normal. It's not unusual. Wouldn't it be sad if someone saw you praying and said, wow, I've never seen you pray before. This is unusual for you, isn't it? It should be the opposite. We're praying so often. It is part and parcel of our everyday life. We are to pray in the bad times and pray in the good times. Now, I don't have to tell you much about praying in the bad times. From Psalm 118, I cried out to the Lord in my distress and he heard me and rescued me from my troubles. That's what God does. And he delights to do the impossible in answer to prayer. I don't have to urge you too often to pray in your bad times. You just naturally go to prayer. But why not pray in the good times? Why do I need to pray in the good times? (laughs) Because the spiritual war is always going on. In one sense, it's always an evil day. And if we want to stand, then we always need to be praying for God's strength and God's power and God's help. You always need him. Every hour I need you, says the song. And every hour you don't pray is an hour in which you declare, I can do fine without you. Thank you very much. Sweet hour of prayer brought into the presence of God 
at acknowledging I need God in every situation. We sang a moment ago, in seasons of distress and grief, my soul has often found relief. But in the good times, be praising, be asking, be communing. And that's what God delights in prayer. Jesus agreed with this, by the way, as you would expect. In Luke 18, the Bible tells us that Jesus taught his disciples a parable about prayer. And the point of it was this. Men ought always, people ought always to pray and not give up. And so he told a parable about an unjust judge and a woman who had nothing, no standing, no fortune, but she pestered the judge so much that he finally gave her what she wanted. Now the point of the parable is not to pester God. The point of the parable is not that God is unjust and the only way you can get something out of his hand is just to bug him to death. No, the point of the parable is this. If an unjust judge will do that for a woman with no standing, what will God do for you when you ask him as a loving father? What will the loving father do who delights to give his children what they need? The argument of the parable is from this horrible, deplorable situation to a far better one that we have with Almighty God. Did you know prayer works? That's why you should always pray. In 1 Thessalonians, we have that wonderful statement. Actually, it starts in verse 16 that says, Be joyful always, pray without ceasing, is the old translation, and then give thanks in all circumstances of life. So always be joyful, always be prayerful, always be thankful. That's what Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 5. But I like the NIV translation. We are to pray continually. Praying without ceasing doesn't mean I'm praying every single moment. It means that it's a continual, consistent, regular part of my life. And that's what Paul is calling for here. But then he says, pray in the spirit. What does that mean? Well, the opposite of praying in the spirit is praying in the flesh. (laughs) And God says, if you don't pray, you don't get anything. This is James. But if you pray and don't get something, it's because you've asked with the wrong motives. Sometimes our prayers are totally in the flesh. Now, I'm not saying you shouldn't pray for things you need. God commands you to do so. But it ought to be uh, in the context of your will and the advancement of your kingdom, not the advancement of my kingdom. Because I'm dead. And my prayers are being offered up for the goodness, uh, for the good work of God and my privilege of working in it. It means that we are praying in the Spirit. By the way, that's a capital S. It's not, although I think there is something to be said about you praying with your spirit, passionately, with all of your heart, this is praying in the Holy Spirit. Otherwise, our prayers are cold and heartless and formal words. It's okay to pray a liturgy. It's okay to pray a Bible prayer if you pray it with your heart, in the spirit. Just make sure your prayers are genuine and real. The Holy Spirit directs our prayers. He informs our prayers. He energizes 
our prayers. He even creates our prayers, giving us the will. And he prays for us when we can't pray. Read Romans chapter 8. That's what the Holy Spirit does. And isn't it neat when I pray to the Father through the Son, I'm praying by, in, via the Holy Spirit. That's what makes prayer work. It's from God to God through God by a needy, helpless believer. Jude says in Jude 20, build yourselves up in the most holy faith, praying in the spirit. You swim in the water. You breathe in an atmosphere of oxygen. You pray in the spirit. So Paul says, always be praying, let it be consistent. There's a third universal, and we notice that in verse 18 when he tells us that we should always be continuing in prayer. Now this is just a little bit different. Regular prayer, always praying, means it's a regular part of our life. But now he's emphasizing the idea of perseverance, One is being consistent, and then the other is perseverance. Now you've got maybe a little opposition. Now you've got perhaps even a length of time, and you've got to battle over these obstacles and keep on praying. In other words, never give up. That's the point. Never quit. Always be praying. This particular Greek word for perseverance is used about 10 times in the New Testament. Six times it's connected to praying. Keep praying. Keep praying. I want to give up. Keep praying. Keep praying. Don't give up. How long do I have to keep praying? Until God answers. What if that takes years? In some cases it will. But keep praying. By the way, the greatest thing about prayer is the person you pray to. You're coming into the presence of God. Isn't that great? Isn't that worth it? And keep asking. You say, but I want it now. Hmm, that sounds like my children. Or me when, actually I was going to say me when I was a child sounds like me yesterday. I want it now. That's a sign of immaturity. Doesn't God know best? I looked up some of these different words, same word that's used in Ephesians 6, and I found, to me, something that was very fascinating. The baby church in the book of Acts. So right after the ascension, Acts chapter 1, verse 14, they all joined together constantly in prayer. The NIV uses the word constantly to translate this word persevere. That was right after the ascension. But then after Pentecost, when the church was born, Acts chapter 2, verse 42, they devoted themselves to prayer. Same Greek word. Devotion means you're so committed, you won't stop. So it's the same context of steadfastly continuing. And then when the church reorganized in chapter 6, you've got the apostles saying, we're going to give our attention to prayer. And to the ministry of the word of God. So it's the idea of constant. The idea of devotion. 
The idea of your commitment, your focus, your attention. That's what we're talking about. And that was needed for the baby church. Now what about the growing church? Well, Romans chapter 12, verse 12. Here the, uh, the same uh, uh, verse is used, or the same word is used in verse 12. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. There it is. So constant, faithful, devoted, persistent. We're all talking about the same thing. Don't give up. I can get bored very quickly. And I can lose hope quite fast. And this is a message that my soul needs. Keep on praying. But Lord, do you hear me? Of course he does. And he delights in the prayer of the righteous. But for some reason, it's not the right time. Or maybe you're not ready. Or maybe some, there's something we need to learn before God works his perfect will. And one of the things we need to learn is patience. Waiting upon God. It was true for the baby church. It was true for the growing church. We need to keep praying until God answers. Then there's one fourth universal, and it's this idea that we are to pray for all the saints everywhere or for all believers. So the universal here is that our prayers should have wide scope. The church is both local and global. Did you know that? It's not just about you and me in Lansing. In fact, the burden of Ephesians, the burden of the book, is unity and community that he's bringing together Jew and Gentile into one. And in that day, that was a very broad scope. That was a, a hard a wall to, to climb. It was a very difficult thing to bring to combatants, to antagonist, antagonistic groups together and make them one. I noticed when I used to talk with my dad and his generation about the land of Japan. It was very hard for a World War II vet to be positive. You can understand that a little bit, can't you? When I was in Israel and I was talking with a Jew and we had on our, on our uh, touring group a per person from Germany, they had a rough time. Old biases die hard. And yet God says, my grace covers all sin, and I want to bring these combating groups together as one in Christ, one family. And so you and I need to look beyond our own borders. Pray beyond yourself, your own personal group. Get a map of the world and pray for the world. Get burdened about a place and pray for that place. Better yet, join one of our missionary care teams. If you don't know how to do that, call the office. They'll put you in touch with John Oldham. And he's doing a fantastic job helping everyone in the church to connect with one of our, what, 70 missionary groups or families? And to get interested in that country and that family and lift them up in prayer. It's a care team, and we care for one another by praying. That's what we need to do. 
And quickly, what should we pray for? Well, how about the spiritual war? <laughs> because that's the context of the verse, right? Uh, how about putting your armor on and being ready for the battle? That's why Paul is saying all of these things in verse 18. But let's go back to Ephesians chapter 1 and listen to what Paul says about prayer. He says in verse 17, I'm asking God, the glorious Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, to give you spiritual wisdom and understanding so that you might know him better. I like that. So we're praying for one another, for all believers to get to know Christ better. Did you know that there are more passages on intercessory prayer in the book of Ephesians than any other of the New Testament epistles. Paul's very concerned about prayer. So pray that we might know him better. And that's what he says in chapter 3 too. That we might know the love of God that is so high you can't measure it. So deep you can't uh, plummet its depths. So wide it's like from east to west. Pray that we might know these things. But then he ends Ephesians by saying, pray for me too. Look at verse 19. Paul says, I, I, I want you to pray for me and ask God to give me the right words. So pray that the message is accurate. And pray that I might boldly explain God's, the mystery of God's plan. So pray for courage. So that the good news will reach the Gentiles. Right now I'm in chains for preaching the message. I'm God's ambassador under chains. But pray that I'll keep speaking boldly for him. So pray for opportunity. Pray for clarity. Pray for courage for those who proclaim the word of God. Around the world. What exciting things to pray for. To know God. To spiritually fight. And to pray for those who take the word of God that they might find success in the midst of their ministry. So what are the four universals again? Just for a quick review. We're to pray all kinds of prayer. That's variety. Always praying. That's consistency. Always continuing in prayer. That's tenacity or perseverance. And praying for all believers everywhere. That's a wide scope. And a large heart for the work of God around the world. What was the goal of the spiritual battle? If you go back to verse 10 in Ephesians 6, it says, Stand then in his great might, right? Put on the armor of God so that you might be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. And having done all to stand, stand therefore. And then he talks about putting the armor on. The goal is to stand. Well, let me simply tell you this. You cannot stand in battle unless you're kneeling in prayer. And so verse 18 wraps it all up. It's useless to fight in the arm of the flesh. There's no way you can win the devil's too strong. But given what God has given us in Christ and the armament and the help of the Spirit, all of these wonderful provisions, we have no excuse for failure. We are more than conquerors, Romans chapter 8. 
And nothing can separate us from the love of God. And nothing can stop the onward movement of God and his will. God, when he sees his people pray, is thrilled and loves to display his mighty power. So in Pilgrim's Progress, John Bunyan tells us when Christian perceived the mouth of hell... And he was hard by the wayside in the valley of the shadow of death and saw the flame and the smoke and heard hideous noises that came from that place. He was forced to put up his sword and betake himself to another weapon called all prayer. You and I pray some forms of prayer and we pray sometimes and Sometimes we keep praying and sometimes we pray for a lot of people, but God says do it all the time. Does it work? My mind says yes, and sometimes my heart says I'm not so sure. (laughs) Oswald Sanders, the great theologian who wrote that wonderful book on spiritual leadership, said the very fact that God lays a burden of prayer on your heart and keeps you praying is evidence that he plans to grant an answer. If you're burdened about something and you tenaciously keep praying for that, Sanders says that's an indication that God's the one who put the burden on your heart and he's the one who plans to answer if you keep praying. When asked if he really believed that the two men he was praying for to be saved would ultimately be saved, George Mueller, that great man of faith, replied, Do you think God would have kept me praying all these years if he did not intend to save those men? (laughs) That's faith. I love that. George Mueller, praying all those years. By the way, both of those men were converted, one before Mueller died and the other after he died. Decades after he started praying for them. Blows my mind. I thought George Miller got everything he wanted. I thought he was the one who prayed for food and it wasn't there. And before he said amen, there's a knock on the door. Yeah, that happens too. But sometimes God has you waiting. And it's all for his glorious purpose. I love what William Cowper said. Neglecting prayer, we cease to fight. Prayer makes the Christian's armor bright, and Satan trembles when he sees the weakest saint upon his knees. So let's pray. Father, we realize that in all the areas of Christian walk, of all of those duties that you have laid upon us, This is the one we most often neglect. We pray when times get bad, but that's not really all prayer. Lord, I pray, teach us to pray in the Spirit all the time with great tenacity for all your people so that the Word of God will go forth and your kingdom will come and you will be glorified in every nook and cranny of this globe. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.